Good morning, brothers and sisters. We extend a warm welcome to everyone who has joined us in church this morning in worship of our triune God. We also extend a special welcome to all the visitors who have joined us here this morning and also via the live stream. May we all be comforted and encouraged by the preaching of the gospel of our Lord and Saviour, Jesus Christ. And may he be praised and glorified by our worship. Consistory has the following announcements. Sister Lauren Howling, member of the Freeform Church in Cardup Brook, and Brother Sean Dykstra have indicated their intentions to enter into the marriage state according to the ordinance of God. They desire to begin this holy state in the name of the Lord and to complete it to his glory. If no lawful objections are brought forward, the ceremony will take place, the Lord willing, on Saturday, the 4th of November at 11 a.m. in the Free Reform Church of Southern River with Reverend Poppy officiating. You are reminded that Tao and Olivia's wedding is scheduled for this week Friday at 12.30 in the Free Reform Church of Darling Downs. And we share with you that Brother Dathan Plater accepted the call extended to him by Elm Creek Canadian Reformed Church. Lord's Supper will, the Lord willing, be celebrated next Sunday in the morning service. And you are also reminded that the election for office bearers will take place next week after the morning service. And this morning, the worship service will be led by Reverend Poppy. And before we commence this service, let us sing together from hymn 65, verse 3. Please rise and let's worship the Lord. We confess that our help is in the name of the Lord who made heaven and earth. Amen. Grace to you in peace from him who is and who was and who is to come, and from the seven spirits who are before his throne, and from Jesus Christ, who is the faithful witness, the firstborn of the dead, and the ruler of the kings of the earth. Amen. 
Let's sing a song of praise to our God. We're going to sing together from Psalm 111, the verses 1 and 2. Let us now submit ourselves to the law of the Lord our God. This morning we'll hear God's law as it comes to us in Deuteronomy chapter 5. And God spoke all these words saying, I am the Lord your God who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of slavery. You shall have no other gods before me. You shall not make for yourself a carved image or any likeness of anything that is in heaven above or that is in the earth beneath or that is in the water under the earth. You shall not bow down to them or serve them. For I, the Lord your God, am a jealous God, visiting the iniquity of the fathers on the children to the third and fourth generation of those who hate me, but showing steadfast love to thousands of those who love me and who keep my commandments. You shall not take the name of the Lord your God in vain, for the Lord will not hold him guiltless who takes his name in vain. Observe the Sabbath day to keep it holy, as the Lord your God commanded you. Six days you shall labor and do all your work, but the seventh day is the Sabbath to the Lord your God. In it you shall not do any work, you or your son or your daughter, 
or your male servant, or your female servant, or your ox, or your donkey, or any of your livestock, or the sojourner who's within your gates, that your male servant and your female servant may rest as well as you. You shall remember that you were a slave in the land of Egypt, and the Lord your God brought you out from there with a mighty hand and an outstretched arm. Therefore the Lord your God commanded you to keep the Sabbath day. Honor your father and your mother, as the Lord your God commanded you, that your days may be long, and that it may go well with you in the land that the Lord your God is giving you. You shall not murder. You shall not commit adultery. You shall not steal. You shall not bear false witness against your neighbor. You shall not covet your neighbor's wife. And you shall not desire your neighbor's house, his field, or his male servant or his female servant, his ox or his donkey, or anything that is your neighbor's. Let's now sing, brothers and sisters, from Psalm 1. In Psalm 1, the Lord teaches us that there's two ways to live. We can either take these commandments to heart, we can be righteous and live under God's blessing, or we can be the fool who disregards these commands and comes under God's curse. Psalm 1, the verses 1, 2, and 3.
Let us pray to God and let's ask God for his blessing. Almighty God and Father in heaven, we thank you, Lord, that once again on this Sunday morning that you give us a day in which we can rest from our normal work. Thank you that you've blessed us with this day to also meet with you. That we get to come to church here, that we get to have fellowship together with you, and that we can also meet with your people. And thank you, Lord, that when we come into your presence, that the first thing you say to us are words of grace. You remind us that you're a gracious God who's willing to have relationship with us. And that relationship is not in the first place dependent upon on us, on making sure that we have our lives together. But that relationship is in the first place dependent upon you, upon your character, that you're willing to show mercy and grace to those who seek your face. And Lord, we do seek your face. We come to you this morning and we, we thank you that we're able to come into your presence and that we can have fellowship with you. We're here, Lord, because we want to pray to you, to ask you for your help. We want to sing songs to you. And most of all, Lord, we want to hear your word. We want to hear what you have to say to us. We want to allow our lives to be governed by the instruction that you give us. Thank you that we may know that you are the powerful God who's seated on the throne in heaven, that you are not only gracious, that you're also, you have the authority to bring to pass whatever you will. And thank you, Lord, that it is your pleasure that you want to have relationship with us so that we walk in intimacy together with you. We want to pray, Lord, for a blessing over your word, that we understand what Christ has done for us, that we understand what it looks like to live in intimacy with you, how we can live a life that's, that's governed by the spirit of Christ and that, that shows something of, of your character within us. Please grant, Lord, that through the preaching of the gospel, that we may be humbled by our sin, that we may also be, be filled with joy and gratitude in the work that Christ our Savior has done for us. Father, we also want to ask you that you would please accept the thank offerings that we bring before you. It's our joy to worship you also in this way. And we pray, Lord, that you would use this for your glory. In Jesus' name we ask. Amen. So, brothers and sisters, in the next few weeks, I have the opportunity to preach on the, the last three fruit of the Spirit. Next week, we have Lord's Supper, and so we're going to do um, patience, or no, sorry, gentleness, and then the week after that is a ward Bible study, so we're going to do um, patience. And so this is the very last one of the three. I thought I'd like to um, just put them together. So this morning, I get to preach to you about the fruit of the Spirit is self-control. And in connection with that, I'd like to read with you from the scriptures. We're going to read together from Galatians 5, the verses 16 to 26. And actually, I have one more passage I'd like to read, and that's also from Titus chapter 2. So first, we'll read together from Galatians 5, verses 16 to 26. If you want to follow along, you can find that on page 1157 in your guest Bible. Galatians 5, we'll start reading at verse 16. There God's word says, But I say, walk by the Spirit, and you will not, des- not gratify the desires of the flesh. For the desires of the flesh are against the Spirit, and the desires of the Spirit are against the flesh. For these are opposed to each other to keep you from doing the things you want to do. But if you are led by the Spirit, 
you are not under the law. Now the works of the flesh are evident, sexual immorality, impurity, sensuality, idolatry, sorcery, enmity, strife, jealousy, fits of anger, rivalries, division, dissensions, divisions, envy, drunkenness, orgies, and things like these. I warn you, as I warned you before, that those who do such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against such things there is no law. And those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with his passions and desires. If we live by the Spirit, let us also keep in step with the Spirit. Let us not become conceited, provoking one another, envying one another. Now we're going to continue in our reading. We're also going to read a few verses from Titus chapter 2. You go ahead about 50 pages in your Bible. You can find it on page 1184. In Titus 2, we're going to start reading at verse 1, and we'll read the entire chapter together. There God's word says, But as for you, teach what accords with sound doctrine. Older men are to be sober-minded, dignified, self-controlled, sound in faith, in love, and in steadfastness. Older women, likewise, are to be reverent in behavior, not slanderers or slaves to much wine. They are to teach what is good, and so train the younger women to love their husbands and children, to be self-controlled, pure, working at home, kind and submissive to their own husbands, that the word of God may not be reviled. Likewise, urge the younger men to be self-controlled. Show yourself in all respects to be a model of good works, and in your teaching, show integrity, dignity, and sound speech that cannot be condemned, so that an opponent may be put to shame, having nothing evil to say about us. Bond servants are to be submissive to their own masters in everything. They are to be well-pleasing, not argumentative, not pilfering, not sh- showing all good, sorry, but showing all good faith, so that in everything they may adorn the doctrine of God our Savior. For the grace of God has appeared, bringing salvation for all people, training us to renounce ungodliness and worldly passions, and to live self-controlled, upright, and godly lives in the present age, waiting for our blessed hope, the appearing of of the glory of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ, who gave himself for us to redeem us from all lawlessness, and to purify for himself a people for his own possession who are zealous for good works. Declare these things. Exhort and rebuke with all authority. Let no one disregard you. So far. Let's now sing together, brothers and sisters. Once again, we're going to sing a psalm in which the Lord makes a contrast between those who walk in his ways and those who reject it. Psalm 101, the verses 1, 2, and 3.
So the text for the sermon this morning is just that one verse from Galatians 5, verse 23. There it says that the fruit of the Spirit is self-control. After the proclamation of the word, we're going to sing together from hymn 54, the verses 1, 2, and 8. Well, dear brothers and sisters, congregation loved by the Lord Jesus Christ, one of the great kindnesses of the Lord our God is that he teaches us that self-control is a fruit of the Spirit. We live in a society where many people don't have self-control. Actually, the, the greatest good in our time is the ability to do whatever you want to do, just so long as you don't hurt anybody else. The good life is the life where you get to pursue and indulge whatever it is that, you give, that gives you pleasure. Yet at the same time, people have to come to grips with the fact that what you really want is sometimes not good. And if you pursue what you really want, then in the end, you end up in some pretty destructive cycles. You know, real life, it's really nice to enjoy some ice cream or some chocolate. But what do you do if you can't stop binging? Or it's really fun to go out to the mall and shop for a few cute things. But what do you do if you blow your budget? And you keep blowing your budget. And you're getting further and further in the hole. And it's really nice, it's fun to enjoy a few drinks. But what do you do if you can't say no to the siren call? And you enter into the dark world of addictions. Many in our society, they try to walk a fine line between enjoying what they want and not getting caught into destructive cycles of sin. Well, the sad reality is that our hearts are sinful and our natural inclination is to want more and to do more. And the Lord is very kind to us because he comes to us and he warns us about that. And he tells us up front about the nature of sin Paul is writing this book, this letter to the Galatians. And these Galatians, the way some of them had it worked out in their heads, is they said to themselves, we need to obey the law. We need to emphasize the law. And the way we're right with God is if we keep the law. And then they were talking about circumcision, and about the feast days, and about the Old Testament laws. And Paul says, never mind. It's not about the Old Testament law. It's not about keeping the ceremonial law of God. You were set free. Christ has set you free. But then there are other people, if you want to use a fancy term, you call them antinomians, against law. They were against the law. They said, well, we're free, so we can do whatever we want. And God says, yes, you're free. Paul says in the first part of Galatians 5 here, he says, you're free, but don't use your freedom to get caught in slavery. You are free, but use your freedom to live a life of love and to live a life of service. And then he, he writes here in these last verses, in the verses 16 to 26, the section we just read about, he writes to show the contrast between the two. There are some people who use their freedom to indulge their sinful nature. And in the end, he says, the works of the flesh leads to all kinds of destruction. And he says, not so for you. You are God's people. You have the spirit of God within you. 
And when you believe in Jesus Christ, and when the Spirit of Christ is manifest in your heart, then you're recreated, you're made into a new person. Then God's power is in you, and you're able to resist those sinful tendencies and to live a holy life before the Lord your God. Well, I preach God's word to you with this theme, the fruit of the Spirit is self-control. I've actually switched the order around. First, we're going to talk about the nature of self-control. Then secondly, the need for self-control. And finally, the nurture of self-control. So first, the nature. Maybe if I could just ask you to think about it in your own life, brothers and sisters. Do you have self-control? If you were to ask your family members, you go home and you have a conversation with your loved ones, with people who you know, and and you ask them, do you think that I'm a person who's self-controlled? What would they say to you? Be helpful to to get a bit of a handle on what the word actually means. There's two different words used in Greek predominantly in the New Testament to describe the self-control. One of them is used in the passage we read together from Titus chapter 2. And that word there, it means to have wisdom and understanding about practical things so that you can act sensibly. Literally, if you break down the word, the original word means wise thinking. You think wisely, and that affects your behavior. You act in a way that you're really sensible. You know what's best in a practical way in certain situations. And then the way it gets worked out is that that keeps you from all sorts of also behaviors, not just your thinking, but also behaviors that are really destructive. Titus 2, verse 11, For the grace of God has appeared, bringing salvation to all people, training us to renounce ungodliness and worldly passions, and to live self-controlled, upright, and godly lives in the present age. If you're self-controlled, part of that is that you you renounce ungodliness, your worldly passions. The other part of self-control is that you live godly and upright lives before the Lord. And then the other main word for self-control used in the scripture, it's the one used here in our text in Galatians 5. The word there means to exercise restraint, especially in regard to sensual pleasures. And literally, if you break down the word in Greek, literally it means with power, with control. And so if you have self-control, you have power or control over yourself. You're not governed by your sensual desires, but you have control of those sensual desires. You have the ability to say no to things. And it's especially the way Paul works it out. If you go back a few verses there, and this is also in some of the other passages in the Bible, he works it out in things like sexual immorality, fits of anger, enmity, which is a fancy word for fighting with other people, or drunkenness, or envy, or all sorts of other things. Well, if you have self-control, then you have the the ability to exercise restraint in all these different kinds of ways. Really what... When you, when you take it apart, there's, there's five main areas in the scriptures in which the Lord, he talks about the, the need for self-control. The first one here in Galatians 5, when he talks about the works of the flesh, the first three words here have to do with having self-control in the area of our sexual desires. In Galatians 5.19, the Holy Spirit says, Now the works of the flesh are evident, sexual immorality, impurity, and sensuality. God made us into sexual beings. And he tells us that that's a beautiful thing. That's just an amazing gift that he's given, as long as it's reserved within the marriage covenant. 
And it's within that marriage covenant, Proverbs 5.19. He says, I want you to enjoy it. He says, be intoxicated with her love. As Solomon says to, a young, to his, his young son. But then the very next verse, he warns against pursuing a sexual relationship outside of marriage. And he says that's going to lead to a lot of suffering. And so to have self-control, it means that you're able to, uh, to exercise your sexual desires in a way that you have control over them. And that you use it in a way that honors God. Well, maybe I can ask you, do you you often pray about that, brothers and sisters? Do you also work towards that? You know, it's really hard to continually resist temptation. One of the ways we're built, something about us, is is if you need to resist temptation, if you need to exercise self-control, you usually do that really good for a period. But if you have to do that, oh, for a long period of time, then at some stage, sometimes it gets difficult. It's when you're tired, it's when you're discouraged, if you're bored, that sometimes you, get, you give in. You end up doing things that you're tempted to do. And so I'd encourage you to ask yourself, you know, do you put yourself in an environment where you're always being inundated with soft porn? You think about the media, the social media that you use, Think about the television programs you watch, the movies you watch. Is there a lot of suggestive clothing, a lot of suggestive situations that people are in? If, you, if that's your world, then don't be surprised that there's going to be times where you lack self-control. Where you get something in your head and you follow something through. You end up watching porn. You end up in a situation where you lost. Or maybe for the women, if I can ask you, you have these romance novels. Do you read these a lot? Does it put you into a headspace where sometimes you think about life with someone other than your husband? If you start following your sexual desires, it's really easy to get into a world where you're sucked into affair, to adultery, into abuse, into pornography. Those people who live that out, the amount of injustice and oppression and exploitation that happens in this world, especially for women, because of unbridled sexual desire, it's hard to comprehend the amount of brokenness and the amount of suffering that's come into this world. But the Lord says to us, he says, for you, my people, he says, it ought not to be so. He says, that's something that rests under his judgment. Ephesians 5, verse 3, he says, not even a hint In Colossians 3, verse 5, he says, put to death what belongs to your earthly nature. And again, he talks about these sexual things first of all. Sexual immorality, impurity, passion, and evil desire. So God's saying, have the self-control to exercise your sexuality in a way that honors him. Now, maybe you're someone who, who does have that. You have good control over yourself in that area. But what about your temper? Paul includes fits of rage in the works of the flesh. There's some people who get angry, and instead of dealing with it in a godly way, instead of resolving the situations, instead of talking through the issues, they let this anger sit and fester in their hearts. They have a lot of divisions. They have a lot of dissension. 
They've got a lot of, there's a lot of conflict and fighting in their life with the people around them. The Lord calls us to have control over our temper. You don't let the anger sit there. You don't let it become cold and poison your outlook and make you suspicious of everyone. You don't let it boil over into this hot anger where you get these fits of rage and where you get really mad at people. No, God says, have the self-control to handle it in a good way, to put the issue on the table and to talk the thing through with other people. Or what about your appetite? It's really delightful to, to enjoy a good drink. But the question is, can you do without? What would it be like for you if you, if you went dry for a while, brothers and sisters? Do you have the discipline to limit yourself? Could you go dry? Or is this something that's gotten away on you? Paul says that drunkards will not enter the kingdom of heaven. Drunkenness is a work of the flesh. But what about gluttony? Do you have self-control in your eating? We love chocolate. We enjoy a good steak. We don't mind having a piece of cake. But if you live that life, and if that's what you do all the time, then pretty soon you put on the pounds. You can get into a stage where that's normal life. In Philippians 3, verse 8, the Lord warns against those who live as enemies of the cross of Christ. He says, their end is destruction, their God is their belly, and they glory in their shame with their minds set on earthly things. And the fourth area in which the Lord calls us to exercise self-control is in our attitude. The Lord warns against covetousness, envy, and selfish ambition. If we're proud, if we look down on other people, if we have selfish ambition, if we're really ambitious to get what we want, and if we pursue those things in a selfish way, those are really destructive traits to have within us. If you see what other people have, become envious of others. If you have this jealousy, it's not a good jealousy, but it's, a, it's this negative spirit within you that eats you up. These are areas where the Lord says that, that we are to have control over ourselves. We are to live in humility. That we are to be content. That we are to, to live in a way that honors the Lord and doesn't lead to conflict with the people around us. And that leads into the final area in which the Lord calls us to exercise self-control, and that's with regards to our tongue. Here in Galatians 5, the Lord warns against enmity, strife, rivalries, dissensions, and divisions. The biggest emphasis here is on your speech, on how you use your speech and how you interact with the people around you. Well, it's so easy to get into conflict, brothers and sisters, You know where it starts? It starts with what you say. Proverbs 15, verse 1, A soft answer turns away wrath, but a harsh word stirs up anger. James 3 says that our tongue is like a spark that sets a forest on fire. He says it's a restless evil, and it's full of deadly poison. It's so easy especially with the people who are closest to, that we get into conflict with them. And that it's so easy to use our tongue in a sharp way. 
that we end up causing destruction, we cause divisions, we end up alienating other people from us by the things that we say and the attitudes that we have. The Lord, he calls us to have self-control over our, over our speech, over our hearts. If you think about it from that perspective, brothers and sisters, if you think of, of self-control in light of what Paul just said, then you understand the breadth to which he's calling you here? It's an enormous challenge to have control over ourselves in a way that honors God and that gives him glory. And it's especially difficult for us in our time, brothers and sisters. We live in a time where there's so much abundance. For most people in the history of the world, and also for many people today, they spent most of their time just providing for the basic necessities of life. They need to put food on the table and a, shell, and a house over their heads. And there wasn't time. There wasn't, there wasn't money. There wasn't availability to do all sorts of things. Well, we have so much abundance. We have so much excess in food and drink, in money and luxuries, in sports and entertainment, in time to pursue whatever it is that we want to do. Well, it's in that context that self-control becomes essential. It's the only way not to indulge in sin and not to get caught up in your own pleasures. Because the reality is that if you give in to self-control, brothers and sisters, if you, if you start to pursue things and if you start to give them space in your life, it's not like the temptation goes away. But if you give in to temptation, the temptation gets bigger. And over time, it starts to take over your life. And it becomes this idolatry. It becomes this thing that's really big for you and that becomes really important to you. And in the end, what happens is that the Lord, instead of being the center of your life, the Lord gets squished into a little corner in your life. And then your life is focused on on whatever it is that you want, on money or beautiful things or alcohol or sports or video games or food or acceptance or whatever. Well, it's a really hard road. If you go down that road, brothers and sisters, it estranges you from God and it alienates you from the people around you and it sucks the life out of you. And if you're caught in some area where it has power in your life, if you don't have self-control, then it's not uncommon that that lack of self-control leaks out into other corners of your life. That you find that you don't have the ability to resist all sorts of different temptations in all sorts of different ways. And in the end, you find yourself, in the words of what Solomon says, Proverbs 25, verse 28, a man without self-control is like a city broken into and left without walls. Well, do you know what it means for us, brothers and sisters? Much of the time, practicing self-control, it's not just resisting and fighting against these really powerful temptations to serious sin. Now, most of the time, exercising self-control happens in the little moments of normal life. It's when you set aside time for personal devotions in the morning, before you run off at 100 miles an hour to do whatever you have to do. What's the saying? Father before phone, or word before world. Having self-control means that you get your homework done. 
before you chat with your friends on social media. It means you turn off your notifications so that you're not always distracted when you're at work. It means that you take the time to write up an introduction for Bible study even when you feel like watching the game. It means that you discipline yourself to save some money instead of blowing it all on whatever it is that you fancy at that moment. It means learning patience with your spouse or with your parents or with your brothers and sisters or with your elders or with your coworkers instead of blowing up at them at the littlest provocation. You know, if you watch the little things, if you're self-controlled in the normal events of life, then many times that becomes the norm for life. And then you're able to resist the other temptations when they come along. It is your Father's desire that you walk in fellowship with Him, that you have a disciplined, a self-controlled life, that you rest under His blessing, that you receive His grace in a rich measure. If you're productively busy in the kingdom of heaven, if you're busy serving and busy loving, that's a powerful way that the Lord uses to protect you from sin. And it's really something that we need to help our children with, brothers and sisters. If you have children, then this is something you have to, to teach them. Because self-control can be learned. They do studies between people in different societies, and there's some societies where Kids learn self-control in certain ways, and there's other societies where kids learn self-control in other ways, and that's just normal for their society. And it shows very clearly that this is something that can easily be taught and learned. You think of what God says in Proverbs 22, verse 16. He says, train up a child in the way he should go, and when he is old, he will not depart from it. And so when your child is young, and they're jealous of their brother or sister, they're jealous of your attentions, but instead of talking that up, and instead of making that a thing for them, you talk it down, and you show them that you, there doesn't have to be a spirit of competition, but that you can love each other, and that you can do it together, and that there could be a beautiful spirit of unity and love between them. When your kids start getting angry, you don't let them get madder and madder and madder and let them blow up already when they're young children. No, when, they're, when they're young, you teach them to moderate their emotions and you help them to resolve the issues. And you teach them to have an emotional landscape within their own heart in which they don't give themselves over to excess and to extremes. You don't let them get extremely angry or envious or disobedient or fearful or proud or whatever the case may be. It's really quite a responsibility for parents. You can help your child to learn self-control so that this becomes the norm for them as they grow up in the future. And that it's not only for kids, it's not only for young people, it's for all of us, brothers and sisters. We just read together from Titus 2. You read that chapter, and it's striking. The Apostle Paul, he says first in verse 2, that older men need to be self-controlled. It's lifelong. Even old men, they need to practice it. And in verse 5, he says the younger women are to be self-controlled. And in verse 6, he also says that young men need to be self-controlled. And actually, this is something that's so important that he, he talks about it back in Titus 1, verse 8. He says this is one of the qualifying characteristics of an elder in the church. You can only be an elder if you have self-control. That's one of the criteria that God puts down. And so what he's saying here is he's saying we all need it. 
something we all have to practice within our lives. We live in a culture that says, if it feels good, then do it. Well, God says, if it feels good, then watch it and practice self-control. Now you hear about that, brothers and sisters, it's a pretty big challenge. We all want to be controlled. We want to do what's right. We want to have the ability to, to make good decisions, to resist destructive things, to resist sinning against God. But the question is, how do you actually do it? And how do you get away from sin and temptation if it has become a big force in your life? Well, the important thing to remember in the first place is that self-control is a work of the Spirit. The fruit of the Spirit is self-control. And so what God is saying is he's saying the way you get self-control at root is through faith in Jesus Christ. It's when you know Christ, it's when you know who Jesus Christ is, when you believe in him, when you trust him, when you worship him and adore him and love him, then he lives in your heart. And one of the things he does for you is that he fills you with his spirit and he enables you to have this kind of self-control. It is his great joy to help you to be controlled in your life so that sin doesn't have power, and that it doesn't have authority over you. And so one of the, the core things in life is to know Christ and to walk closely together with him. It's really striking if you want to think of one of the one of the men who faced a powerful temptation in the scripture, you think of, of Joseph, Genesis 36. Potiphar's wife, so his master's wife, she sees that he's a handsome young man and she lusts after him and she wants to hop in bed with him. And so day after day after day, she tries to seduce him. And day after day after day, he resists her. And he says, I'm not doing that. I'm not going there. And why not? In the first place, he says, I can never do that to my master. He's entrusted the whole house to me. And secondly, he says, I can never do that to my God. I can't sin against my God in that way. That's not pleasing to the Lord. And so he had a great respect for the Lord. He knew the Lord. It says repeatedly in in Genesis that the Lord was with Joseph in all that he did. Well, Joseph knew the Lord. He trusted God. He loved God. And the Lord was in him. And that's typical. When the Lord is in you, then you're able to resist sin. Then this woman comes to him and he says, never mind, I'm not going to fall for your seductions. I'm not going to do what's sinful in God's sight. Well, that's what stands at the heart of it, brothers and sisters. How do you get there? Well, if you want to open with me your your Bible, we're going to read together a few verses from the passage we read together from Titus 2. So in Titus 2, the the Apostle Paul, he he just gave a whole list of of people who needed to exercise self-control. And then after that, he tells us how it's possible. It's page 1184 in your Bible. So it's in Titus 2, and I'm going to start reading with you at verse 11. So the the earlier verses there, it's older men who are to be self-controlled. Older women are also to teach younger women to be self-controlled. Young men are to be self-controlled. And then in verse 11, for the grace of God has appeared, bringing salvation for all people, 
training us to renounce ungodliness and worldly passions and to live self-controlled, upright, and godly lives in the present age, waiting for our blessed hope, the appearing of the glory of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ, who gave himself for us to redeem us from all lawlessness and to purify for himself a people for his own possession who are zealous for good works. The grace of God appeared, and it trains us to renounce ungodliness and worldly passions and to live self-controlled, upright, and godly lives. It is the grace of God that trains us to be self-controlled. Have you experienced much grace in your life, brothers and sisters? There's a lot of people who are pretty good at exercising justice. We know what's right and we know what's fair and we're going to make sure that it's fair and that everybody gets what they deserve. But you know, that's not the first heart. That's not the first character trait of our Father. Our Father in heaven, his first trait is to be gracious, is to be merciful to show kindness and show compassion to people who don't deserve it, to show mercy to those who hate him, to those who are his enemies, to those who are opposed to him. Well, if you sin against God, and then you humble yourself before God, and if you experience the grace of God in your life, you understand that you, you're really messed up and you deserve to be punished, and there's no way out, but then you understand that he comes to you and he says, I forgive you and I love you and I'm not going to hold it against you. Well, that's life-changing. God's grace makes us into different people. That's what makes us into those who are self-controlled. King David had it. He committed some pretty serious sins, commits adultery, he murders Uriah, and then he's confronted by it, and he comes to grips with it, and he's honest about it, and he confesses his sins. And then he writes a couple of psalms in which he celebrates the grace of God. He understands deep in the core of his being that he deserved wrath, but God gave grace, and he loved God, and he's willing to do, he's willing to live a life of service and devotion before God. In history, we have the, the songwriter John Newton. The man was a slave trader. In his former life, he used to, to get slaves, bring them across the ocean, he'd sell them, and he made money on it. And it was horrific, the way that they're treated and what happened to these people. And at one stage, he was convicted of his sin. He came to know God. And it changed his world, changed his life. And so he wrote the well-known song, Amazing Grace. Amazing grace, how sweet the sound that saved a wretch like me. I once was lost, but now I'm found, was blind, was blind but now I see. T'was grace that taught my heart to fear, and grace my fears relieved. How precious did that grace appear the hour I first believed. T'was grace that taught my heart to fear. It's pretty much identical to what Paul says in Titus 2. 
It is the grace of God that trains us to be self-controlled. Self-control comes out of relationship, brothers and sisters. It's when you love the Lord. It's when you understand what he's done for you. That's when you hate sin. That's when you resist temptation. That's when you do what's good and right before your God and Father. And so the Lord calls you to know Christ. He calls you to understand his grace. He calls you to live out of it. And then he says, you also have a responsibility. That you need to go to work. You need to take my grace to heart and you need to apply it. You need to please me for what I've done for you. In the very next verse, Paul, Paul explains it here in our text. Galatians 5 verse 24, he goes on and he says, we are to crucify the flesh with its passions and desires. Well, that's vivid language. You have to kill your, your flesh. You have to crucify it. You have to put to death the passions and desires that live within you. And grace helps you to do that. When you understand who God is, then you want to do that. That's who you are and that's what you want to do. And this calling to, to exercise self-control, that's something that, that the Lord, he says, you need to work at it. You need to exercise it. You need to make it happen. It's not something that just comes, but it's something that you also have a responsibility to put into practice. One of the beautiful passages where the Lord talks about that is in 2 Peter 1. In verse 5 there, he says, Make every effort to supplement your faith with virtue, virtue with self-control, and self-control with a whole bunch of other things. But he says, make every effort. You need to work it. And he gets back to that in verse 8. He says that we are to pursue these things in increasing measure so that we don't become ineffective or unproductive in our knowledge of Jesus Christ. And a little later, in 2 Peter 1 verse 10, he says there that we are called to be even more diligent to make our calling and election sure. There's a, a great calling to work at, brothers and sisters, you are saved by grace, and the motive is the grace of God. God has saved you as an act of kindness and mercy. And since he saved you, now he says, now I want you to work it out. I want you to hate sin. I want you to flee from it. And I want you to develop self-control as a regular part of your life. Well, do you do it, brothers and sisters? Do you often reflect on the grace of God in Christ? And out of love for him, do you also resist sinful temptations? Do you have the wisdom to enjoy the good things in life and not to use them in excess? You know, Christ will help you with that. So when you look to him, when you rely upon him, then life becomes really beautiful. He lived a beautiful life. He lived for his father. And his father equipped and enabled him to, to be self-controlled. And so he had beautiful relationships. And he didn't sin sexually. And he didn't get, get angry with people in a way that displeased God. He got angry at times. He, re, he showed the wrath of God. It's actually only two times in the scriptures. So he got angry on, on some occasions. But he didn't do that in a way that, that was sinful before God. He was a man who was ultimately self-controlled in everything that he did. And when you look to him, then he will help you. It's not a pie in the sky. It's not out of reach. It's not like you can never become that person. 
God says, you can do it. He says he will equip you. He will enable you. One of the most encouraging verses is what, one, what, what John says. 1 John 2 verse 14. I write to you, young men, because you are strong. And because the word of God abides in you. And because you have overcome the evil one. You are strong. And the word of God abides in you. And you have overcome the evil one. You have the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. Well, let's live it out, brothers and sisters, through faith in him. Amen. Let's sing together. We're going to sing from hymn 54, the verses 1, 2, and 8. Let's now call upon the Lord in thanksgiving and prayer. Almighty God and Father in heaven, we thank and praise you that you have sent your Son into this world, that the Lord Jesus Christ lived a life that was pleasing to you. Thank you, Lord Jesus, that you were self-controlled, that you're able to, to be a, a real human being, Yet at the same time, you didn't give in to, to sinful passions, but you were able to hold those in check and to be controlled in the way that you exercised yourself. And thank you that you did that for us. We thank you that when we believe in you, that your righteousness is, is given to us, that all the good things that you did, all the right things that you did before God, that they are counted on our behalf. 
Father, we have to confess to you that, that many times we have sinned, that we have not been self-controlled. Sometimes with regards to our sexual desires, sometimes we lust and we give in to temptation, we view pornography, and we, we act in, in sexually illicit ways. Now, Father, we confess that to you. We're deeply sorry for the way in which we've offended you. And we ask for your grace and forgiveness for Jesus' sake. Please wash us clean and please set us free from temptation. Father, also with regards to, to our appetite, sometimes we eat and sometimes we drink in ways where we, where we give in to, to our desires. We end up doing things that are displeasing to you. We end up getting drunk. We end up living like gluttons. And Lord, we're sorry about that. And we ask for your forgiveness. We pray that you give us control over ourselves that we receive these good gifts as good gifts out of your hand and that we use them in a way that honors you. Father, we're sorry about the way we sometimes exercise our tempers. Sometimes we, we don't talk things through with people. We don't have control over our, the words that we say, but sometimes we say really biting things. We say hurtful things. Sometimes our temper gets the best of us and we give in to anger and we allow anger to run away with us. Or other times, Lord, it happens that we store up our anger in our hearts and it becomes this poison that, that poisons our outlook and makes us suspicious of all sorts of other people and it ends up estranging us from others and from you. Father, we're sorry for, for the anger and the divisions. We're sorry for the, for the fighting. We're also sorry for the envy and for the, for the desires of our hearts. Sometimes we, we see what other people have. We're proud, we're selfish, we're envious, we're covetous. Sometimes it also not only estranges us from you, but it also causes a lot of divisions in our relationships with each other. So much sin, Lord. So many ways in which we stand before you with empty hands. Please show us mercy. and Please forgive us for Jesus' sake. And we pray, Lord, that we may be strong in resisting these things. That as we contemplate the grace that you've shown us in Christ, we think about the fact that, that you're not angry with us, but that you, you forgive us everything and that you love us still. Grant that this may be a motivator for us to, to more and more flee from sin. And grant that we can live in ways that, that please you. Father, be with the young people, that they can learn this. Be with the children, that they can grow in, in having a, a life where, where self-control is something learned from their youth. Be with us in, in middle age and in old age. Grant, Father, that we're able to, to exercise our, our self-control in a way that pleases you. Thank you for giving this vision to us. Thank you for rescuing us from the, from the society in which we live. Thank you for, for giving us the beauty of your word. Dear Father in heaven, we pray that, that as we exercise self-control, that it may lead to intimacy with you, and that also will lead to, to beautiful relationships with other people. Help us to be restored. And help us to walk closely with one another, to encourage each other and to bless each other. Father, we also want to ask that you would Please take care of us in the week that lies before us. Really special occasion on Friday. Teo and Olivia are looking forward to getting married. Thank you so much that you brought them together, Lord. Thank you that they can, can look forward to this. And we pray for your blessing over the day. Grant that they may have a special day, that they can be able to make their vows in good conscience, that they can receive your blessing and that it would go well with them. And please bless the time that they have together, Lord. So grateful that they can celebrate this event together with their families. And grant that they may have, may have much joy in fellowship with their, with their family from far and near. We also pray, Father, that you please 
take care of us and in all the other things that we're doing. We're grateful, Lord, for, for the busy lives that we get to live, for all the different things that we get to do. Think of the young people this coming week. They're hoping to have a youth camp down in Bunbury. I want to pray for your blessing over that, Father. Grant that the youth are able to, to be encouraged, that they can have good relationships together. They can have a lot of fun and good joy, and also that they can, can also grow in a relationship with you. Please be with the leaders. Grant that they're able to provide good direction. Please give a good spirit, a self-controlled spirit for the youth, that they can have much joy, and they can do it in a way that honors you. Thank you so much, Father, that you give this opportunity, and we pray for your blessing upon it. We also wish to ask, Father, that you take care of those who are struggling with health concerns, this number of members who are recuperating from different things, been in the hospital recently. Please be a father to them and help them and, and grant relief and, and grant care for them. And then we also pray for those who are grieving the loss of loved ones, some at our church who, who are recently grieving loved ones, who also have to, to bury a loved one this coming week. Please surround them with your love and care. Please be near to them and, and grant them your grace and, and your kindness. Thank you so much for the promises of the resurrection. Thank you that we may believe that death is not the end, but that there is a resurrection to life, that there is a new world that you've prepared for us, that we get to live with you, and we get to do it face to face. You're an awesome God, and we eagerly look forward to that great day. Dear God in heaven, we also want to pray that you would please be with the Canadian Reformed Seminary. We're so thankful for the work that's being done there. I want to ask the Lord that you be with the professors, that they can faithfully teach the students so that they're able to rightly handle the word of truth. Thank you so much, Lord, for faithful men who are doing this work. And we ask that the next generation of ministers may be well prepared for preaching the gospel. We also pray, Lord, that you would raise up men who would consider the ministry. Please work in their hearts with your Holy Spirit, that they may consider whether they're able to do the task, give them a desire to do it, and grant, that you're, grant your blessing upon it. The truth is, Father, we have a number of churches within our federation who are vacant, this morning, the, the church of Mount Azur would have heard the, the news that Dathan had declined the call that they'd extended to him. We pray for them, Lord. We also pray for the other vacant churches among us, that they may receive a pastor in, in due time. We also pray for Brother Plato, Lord. Please be with Dathan and Katrina as they take up their task in, in Carmen, Manitoba, or in Elm Creek. Please grant that, that you would grant your blessing over them, that they're able to settle into a new congregation. Be with Dathan as he prepares for a classical exam. Grant that that may go well for him. And please grant your blessing that they're able to serve you faithfully in the place where you put them. Thank you so much for being our Father, Lord. Thank you for looking after us and for doing these things for us. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So we just prayed for the Canary Reform Theological Seminary. You now have the, give, have the opportunity to give your thank offerings for the work that's being done there. Then after the collection, we're going to sing together from hymn 55, verses 1, 2, and 3.
It is the grace of God that teaches us self-control. Before you go, the Lord would like to extend that grace to you. The grace of the Lord Jesus Christ and the love of God and the communion of the Holy Spirit be with you all. Amen.